You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to be joined by Janice Simmons, composer of the opera Narcissus and Echo. Janice, welcome. Hello. It's great having you here. It's interesting with our introduction, I always say, where we engage with faith leaders and academics, we've never had a composer before. So um, tell us about this opera, Narcissus and Echo, without too many spoilers. What is this opera that you've written? Well, it's an opera that I've been working on for a number of years, and I started actually at this college in 2007. So this is kind of an interesting full circle. I basically started writing this opera as a piano solo that was an hour long, but I did not read or write music at the time. So it was a very interesting journey, and I think that's kind of a, a, a point I wanted to bring up of, of the spirituality part, because there was a lot of things underlying my musical drive that had, didn't have to do with technical, schooling, um, those kinds of things that people usually thrive on, on musical compositions. Now, forgive me, did you say that you created an hour-long piano solo without any musical background, any, any of the technical knowledge? Is that, is that what you were saying? That's correct, how, yeah. How do you do that? I mean, I remember when I was a child... Um, when we were learning music and I, I composed a tiny piece that was maybe a minute long and took me weeks and weeks to do as a teenager. But that was in the context of a music class with all the training and so on. How, how was it possible to write uh, an hour-long piano solo with no musical technical knowledge at all? Um, that's a really hard an question to answer and I don't really know. Um, and that's where it comes from, where I want to go into the space of creativity and spirituality, because I just, the music was so obvious to me, and it was so deep, that it's almost like I just knew it. And when I, I didn't really care about notes, and when I was 10 years old as well, I was writing some, composing some music, we had a piano in our house, mm -hmm. and I remembered uh, playing by ear Beatles songs. And just listening to the Beatles songs and then playing because I liked the songs. So in 2007, I got a, a house and I, someone gave me a grand piano. And I just feel like this has been waiting for me over this period of time since I was 10 till now, uh, 2007, and started it up. And the piano that was given to me was a very old 19th century, turn of the century piano. And I sat down and I played it and I just said to myself, and I knew deep, deep, deep down, my life had changed drastically. You, you said that it was waiting for you. Does that mean for you that the music pre-existed you writing it? It kind of feels that way. And I don't know how to describe that. It's, it's, in other words, I didn't sit down and say, oh, this is a nice chord. I like this uh, arpeggio. I'm, I'm writing arpeggios. I'm writing chords, but I don't know what they are. And I, don't even, I didn't even know what it was called an arpeggio. My, t my teacher later on had, oh, I like your arpeggios. And I said, what, do you, what are those? Wow. So it was that kind of a thing where the music always came first. Um, as far as how 
how it sounded to me, how I, how I would touch the keys, how it would develop in, in my hands. It was almost like clay in my hands and moving my fingers along the keyboard and creating music. And it came from inside, it came from somewhere else, and it was just this very deep, always, always a deep experience. I, I find this extraordinary because I, I, um, I, I'm not an artist. Um, and for me, art has always been about taking something and creating. But it sounds like when you say with pottery, like with clay, it's almost like taking away that which wasn't that which was hidden, you know, to reveal that which was hidden underneath already. S- something that might have already been there. Um, that has profound spiritual um, connotations, I would suggest, um, that art um, of any form, music or sculpture or, or anything that we draw or write even, um, is not something that comes from us, but is something that we can connect to. So where would it come from? Well, I think that, you know, everyone has what they call a belief. Um, And for me, the belief, what spirituality does mean to me is total acceptance of what what is, what exists already. Um, Without me judging it, altering it, saying I like it, don't like it, putting opinions on it, changing it, wanting it to change. Um, So say if I see a tree. I accept the tree as a tree. It's a perfect tree. I don't need to ask myself if I like it or if I should move it somewhere or if it, if, if it should be green or blue. Um, and I think that's what music and art, if you let yourself go to that place of absolutely accepting the connectedness of ourselves in this world, other things come to you besides what is the tree, you know, the intellect, how do I, how do I carve the tree, you know, those kinds of things. I guess for me there's a difference because the the tree is something which already is that that I guess that other people can see that other people can have experience of and you can say there's a tree and everyone else will say I know I can see the tree but if this opera if this music that you uncovered was there and no one else had had ever heard it or seen it before that to me suggests something much more profound than just a tree. Well, it's more of when I see the tree, it's not me seeing the tree, just like it's not me hearing the music. There's, there's, it's a seamless relationship. And I think that's, to me, what the spirit guide is all about, is you kind of lose your ego, you lose yourself, you and the tree are the same, you and the music become this, this unit. And that's where there's no division between I'm looking at the tree, the tree is there. Maybe the tree is looking at me. Um, probably it is. And, and I like that relationship of having nature looking back at you because then you mm. understand that you aren't always the observer. In the Jewish tradition, uh, Martin Buber wrote a book called I and Thou yeah, in German. Um, and um, he talks about two kinds of state of relationship, which you're really reminding me of. Um, and I, I had I'd never connected Buber with opera. Um, but Buber talks about the two kinds of relationship that we have, the I-it relationship and the I-thou relationship. The I-it relationship, uh, briefly summarized, is, is the relationship we have with that which is not us. 
Um, it's every relationship that we normally have, where we, I am me and you are you and we are separate human beings. And he says there are very brief moments when we experience a different kind of relationship, an I-thou relationship, where we totally lose ourself in connection. And it's not connection with the other because the other immediately means an I-it. Is, is this resonating? Is, is this booberesque almost? Yes, it is very much so. Um, and it has a lot to do with, um, I, I've studied Buddhism for many, many years, and that's all about the, con- the, connect- the connectedness of all things. And I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful study because um, it really doesn't, it, it humbles you, it takes away your ego, it lets you just be in the world. And with all the sorrows, with all the, you know, all the bruises and cuts and, and the beauty and the sunrise and all those wonderful things that you look forward to, it's all there. And we don't exclude, okay, I was having a good day until I broke my leg. You know, it's, I'm having a good day and I broke my leg. So there's a relationship with just acceptance and being, um, you know, being the, the, the connectedness is what I, I keep bringing. And when I, when I write the music, I feel when you, when you really get to that place of the world is in you, you you're no longer the it, the, the I or the it. That's gone. Right. And then this amazing thing comes, and it's music. And it's so much easier for me to, to write music than to talk about this, right. you know, right. because now I'm really using my brain and I'm, I'm – I'm thinking of how to word this, but when, when the music comes, there's no me thinking about putting a word in, in, in a place or whatever. It's, it's a flow. And, and we are definitely doing what Buber warns about, I would say, when he says when you're in that I-thou moment, when you say, oh, look, I'm in an I-thou moment, you've immediately turned it into an I-it moment. Right. You've immediately objectified it and separated yourself from it. And so I appreciate that when we talk about this, we're talking about this, I guess, as, as I, it, people talking of an I, thou moment. Yes. And, and I get that. I can't help but think it, you, what, what you're describing almost sounds uh, similar to descriptions that uh, prophets in the Bible talk about. And I'm not I, I don't know you well enough to call you a prophet yet, um, <laughs> but but it, it seems like that inspiration that openness uh, or a channeling which I, I think you described um, seems to be a, a profoundly in my tradition I would say a profoundly religious experience yes it is very profound um, and uh, I don't really have a word for it except connectedness and you know some people say getting lost um, but you're not getting lost because you're totally connected so it, it doesn't separate you from the world. It actually connects you to the world. And I think there's confusion there of people being in the zone, right? right and and, right. and you, you, you have to tap them on the back because they're kind of out of it, whereas where it's absolute total connectedness. And I, I like the word seamless because when, when I'm writing the music, it, there's, it's a seamless event. It's a seamless feeling inside me with the music. There's, uh, it, uh, there's, not, a, there's not a piano that I, you know, we're, we're there. Right. And so, and then the music is coming to me, and, and a lot of times I even have, mo- I've, I have had moments where I watch my fingers move on their own. Hmm. And that's been very interesting. And, and when I have questions, they're answered through the piano. 
I don't have a background in music, so how right. am I answering my own questions? And what are what are these questions? Oh, like I'm stuck. I don't know what key I'm in. I don't know where I'm going. I, I don't know. I don't know how I got here, um, and so it becomes this like big question mark. And then suddenly, it's, there's maybe a groove opens up or something, and I'm there. There's a there's a, a, an ancient Jewish proverb, I guess. Um, and again, you know, forgive me for bringing in my own tradition, but this is the, the lens through which I, I hear what you're saying um, of um, when a person steps down a particular path, God helps them in their next step along that path, essentially. Mm. Um, and, and that comes to my mind when I hear what you're saying of, um, of your body answering almost. Um, it, it sounds to me um, uh, very much a not a letting go, but a, a being, a being other almost, a being connected, as you said, in, in, right. a, in a very different way. It's fascinating for me, uh, especially having come personally from a, a science background originally, and and really not so much being involved in in art in any way. It's fascinating for me to hear you describe the formation of art in such strongly religious overtones or connotations um and it's also interesting for me to hear when you talk about from uh, you know having studied from a buddhist perspective when we've had some uh, buddhist guests here talking of suffering uh, and and the acceptance but the transcending of suffering does that play a part in your composing is, is there is there suffering in some sense? And what would that mean? Okay, so that comes into, the, into more of the subject matter of the, of the opera, which, which just came. I'll tell you that when I wrote this music here in 2007 with uh, my teacher, uh, Sergio Rodriguez, and I was writing this piece over a period of, the, the piano piece over a period of four years. And he asked me, what is this piece about? Two years in, two years later, what is this piece? And I said, it's Narcissus and Echo. And he said, why? And I said, I don't know. I, it just, I just said it in the moment. And so there was that opening. And it was the time to know what the piece was about. But not until that moment did I have a clue what I was writing. So you weren't setting music to a theme at all? N- not at all. It just was the other way around yeah. that the theme came two years later. So what we'll do, we'll take a break and then let's 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 find out about that theme of, of this <laughs> yeah, opera a good, itself. It's a good theme. Um, <laughs> it sounds fascinating. So you're, uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. And my guest this evening is Janice Simmons, um, who, see, originally I said composer of the opera, but I, I don't think composer is the right word. The, the discoverer of um, the, the opera Narcissus and Echo. And uh, we'll be exploring this after our break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And we've been talking with Janice Simmons, um, who um, discovered a piece of music, I think might be for me the the right term, discovered uh, this piece of music that then became the opera Narcissus and Echo. Um, So, um, yeah, so tell us about this, this narrative that came from... Uh, that came from the music itself. Okay, and uh, I like the word discover, and I'll also say uh, unfold, because once once I knew it was Narcissus and Echo, what was the next step? 
I had to open it up and I had to go there. So that was a whole nother journey. And I did not plan this uh, story. It just, I, 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 I didn't, and I never, stu- I, I studied Greek mythology, but not to the point of, oh, I, I love this Narcissus and Echo story. But it has a lot to do with also the Buddhist sutras that I was working on at the time, which was called the Heart Sutra. And that's a very ancient Buddhist teaching, and it's uh, the, the perfection of wisdom. And I was studying that, and for some reason the characters kind of fit into this suffering. And But in the Greek mythology, as we know, Narcissus falls in love with himself, sees his reflection in the pond, falls in love with himself, and is just tortured by his ego. Well, a, a, a big Buddhist theme is ego, right. is, and, and, and letting go of ego so that you don't have that I, you know, I versus mm. the world out there, right? Right. right. And then there was Echo who exploded at some point. Or, well, I, she explodes in my opera because I just think it's so dramatic. She kind of just dissipates because she's so tortured. She falls in love with, with Narcissus, but uh-huh. he rejects her because he, he can't get out of his own love for himself. He, has nothing, he, he, do, he doesn't want her. And she can't stand that rejection. And, she, and she's in so much pain in my opera that she does explode. Um, but she, th- these characters to me were so human. And, of course, a lot of this is autobiographical because, you know, we've all experienced these pains of being rejected and falling in love and, you know, falling out of love and loving ourselves, and then realizing that there's nothing really, you know, what, what you built yourself up to be is not true. <laughs> when, it's, when it's staged, and I know you are doing a staging on uh, May the 5th, aren't you, at Temple Bar Shalom. When, when it's staged... How does somebody blow up on stage? Well, that was a good... uh, We didn't really get that down yet, but um, the piano itself kind of explodes. Ah. And when I did the solo piano work, uh, that was like my favorite part. I couldn't wait to get to that part because I literally, literally threw my body onto the keys. And it was like an explosion. And I hit the piano with my body. I mean, and it felt so good. For me, it was like a purging, like sometimes exploding is okay because then she changed after that. So the explosion, you know, in, a lot of times when things go wrong, we think, oh, this is terrible. How can I get back to it? But sometimes those things are openings, and we should take advantage of them and go forward and look into that and say, this feels really terrible, but what, what, can I do? what is this going to lead to? And maybe there's something other. And Echo, she has this beautiful relationship with the moon after that. And the moon comes to her, and this is where the Greek mythology comes in too, is they were very... They they saw nature as nature. They relied on nature for everything, the moon, the stars, the sun. I mean, they, they, they were so connected to nature. And so that's, um, I use the ocean. To, the ocean actually saves Narcissus. He tries to commit suicide by going into the ocean. The ocean rejects him. And then they, they, have, they form a relationship. Mm. And then the teachings come through the ocean. Mm. Well, with Echo, the moon, she's, she's almost about to do herself in, and the moon is just trying to get her attention over and over and over with the piano. It's a really great part. And the piano is just doing this moon, moon dance, and she's just kind of like so in her grief that she doesn't even notice it. And then finally the moon and she connect, and, it's, and then they have this conversation that leads to her really understanding the true meaning of love. And, it's, and she goes inward to find it. And so, so her, her obsession with, with Narcissus has ended. Her suffering has ended. She finds love within. Narcissus finds his, his, you know, his place, and they belong, and they actually belong not to each other per se, mm-hmm. but to everything. 
And that belonging is how the piece goes. And that's where I put the twist on it of, of them finally entering the ocean willingly as opposed to it being, right. you know, uh, this will end my life. This is actually the beginning of your life. And the piece also has the message of eternal life. So and in, in respects with um, Rabbi Ben Morrow, I thought, wow, could this be more perfect or what? Because when, when, when Wendy told me about it, I said, well, hi, Ben. You know, it was just like one of those things like, okay, you want to be here too. So, so for the benefit of our listeners, explain the connection. Rabbi Ben was on our show a couple of times before he passed away. So, so explain the connection between Rabbi Ben and this, and this stage. Well, uh, uh, Rabbi Ben loved opera. But, and, and Rabbi, Rabbi Ben is also a human, and the story just connected so well to, like, I, I mean, as opposed to getting up there and singing, you know, La Traviata, you know, mm-hmm. okay, it's a woman who's dying, but who cares? But this is about our journey into death, and the piece is actually a meditation on death. And Wendy told me that it's in honor of the, the rabbi who died, and I thought, oh, my God, because it's also about, well— there's a lot of wording in the opera of birth, no birth, death, and no death, which is from the sutra. And it has so much to do with the, you know, like, okay, we're grieving the loss of Rabbi Ben. Mm-hmm. But are we? And we're, he's, right. you know, he, he's, of course he's here because he, he, now he wants this opera to go up on, in, at the <laughs> right. temple, right? Yeah, so, so how far did he go is the question. <laughs> so, I, when you were describing the, the, this throwing yourself on the piano... How do you score that? How, how do you write that down musically? Because um, um, do, does it exist? Uh, has, has the opera actually been written down? Well, there was no score, so I could do what I want. I mean, I could have I tap danced on the piano. And it, sure, but, but <laughs> once you created this piece... Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So there is a part where I don't ask the piano player to thrust his body on the piano, but right. he, he'll slam his arm and it's called a cluster. Right. And it's just a slamming of all the keys you can get your arm onto. And it's very effective because what happens then is you have your, your, your harmonics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it echoes so much into the – and then you have a real interesting uh, combination of, of, of sound right. and, and harmonies. And I, I'm very interested by uh, not only the, the Greek mythological perspective but, of course, also the ocean and the, the power of water mm. um, in, in religious terms, in spiritual terms, that sort of cleansing so that we are different to who we were before and yet we're still connected, we're still the same person. We're just, um, you know, there are faith communities in Judaism. We have the mikvah where we, where we cleanse ourselves. There's baptism in other communities. And it, it's interesting how, how water has, has, has taken on this transformative role. Um, where does that feature in, in your opera? Um, the ocean is a very, I mean, it actually is the relationship with um, Narcissus who's played by Andre Garcia Nuthman. And I mean, without the ocean, there would be no story because it, 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 he can see himself in the ocean. He can understand he's connected. He's not, his ego doesn't have to pull him away from things. And the transformation comes with that realization that he's just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And once he realizes that he's more mortal and like everybody else, and he can drop his ego, he's completely free and he's no longer suffering. And there's one, uh, my teacher, my Buddhist teacher a while back, I think, I think, I'm not sure what this was from, but she had, uh, she had said, when a drop hits the ocean, it becomes the sea. And she used that in a term of, 
our connectedness with the bigger picture. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so when, when we die or whatever, we become this huge, huge, huge consciousness, if you want to call it, or ocean, if you want to call it. Um, and we just become that. And it's not like we go over here and we're in a, you know, dark place. We're, we're, we're it. And um, I've always liked that. So there's a, there's a th- melody in the opera that is that they sing. It's kind of introduced at the beginning, then in the middle, and then at the end. That when they're all in the ocean and they're all together and the, there's a bird that comes back from before because that's part of this whole cycle. They're all joined and they all sing, when a drop hits the ocean, it becomes the sea. And it's all in harmony. And mm. it's absolutely beautiful. It's, it just gives me goosebumps when, I, when, I, when, I, when, it, when it gets to that part. I get really excited because and everybody's like smiling and they're happy because you can feel it. You know, it's like the music is, is something that you can, people feel it. And everybody who I had it at Highlands University, we, we went up on stage in October. And everyone said, oh, my gosh, that last part where you were all singing together – I was in tears and I was just, you know, and it was just like everybody got it. I mean, you could have you could have not understood the whole story. But if it got to that point, you'd be like, yes, go. Right. right? right. It's interesting, this idea, you know, when a drop hits the ocean, it becomes the sea, because when we look at the sea, we we never break it down into, oh, well, that was that drop and that drop and that drop. Mm. It's. It loses its identity, but it gains its identity, doesn't it? It gains a greater identity in some sense. But then the irony is, and maybe this is touching on Buddhist teaching, is that eventually the sea, part of the sea evaporates and and, and so on, and it becomes part of the water cycle. So it becomes a drop again, almost, doesn't it? Sure. And so I, I wonder if that almost picks up on... Uh, on, on on some Buddhist teaching as well for you? Well, I think there's that cycle, you know, that, that people do believe in cycles in many other religions, um, is that, you know, we transform um, the Tibetan Buddhists. I mean, they, they think we have, you know, a thousand lives and they're just going to come back and do this or do that or do this and do that. And I think it's kind of cool, you know, just to think that. I like to think that things don't end because things don't have never, they, they haven't begun. Right. And and that is a Buddhist thing. You can't die because you weren't born. And it's very complicated, but when you grasp that, you understand that there's this continuum that just keeps going. And we're not the ones to say, this is this and this is that, because we're part of this kind of in and out stuff. See, what's amazing for me, hearing you say this, is how your perspective on life and death and the uncovering of being so totally mirrors your perspective of this piece of music and uncovering, discovering, unfolding this this na- music and narrative that was there and you were able to connect to. Um, I find it really fascinating to, to hear the connection between your understanding of life and death and what you've been able to bring forth. And and the peace is a life, you know. It it has been a relationship for me that was. It's probably the deepest relationship I've had in my life so far, um, and it means everything to me. Um, and it's it, and it will die, but it does, you know. But it, it it's going to do something else, and so will I. So it's 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 these entities come and 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 they go, and it's good to just kind of step back and watch it happen in your life. This has been. Truly fascinating, um, really extraordinarily powerful for me to hear about art f- 
from a religious perspective, essentially a spiritual perspective, perhaps perhaps that's a better way. Um, this um, emanation, almost this revelation, almost of of uncovering uh, this extraordinary um, piece, which I'm I'm so looking forward to to, to hearing in, in May and seeing in May. So I want to thank you for for coming in this evening and really sharing this very exciting journey towards this, I don't want to say creation, this uncovering. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And thanks again uh, to my guest, uh, Janice Simmons, the uncoverer of the uh, opera (laughs) Narcissus and Echo. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.